Welcome to Ballsy, the podcast where I interview successful artists and creators on how they got the balls to sell their art and turn their practice into a profitable business. As a former entrepreneur turned artist, I realized that being an artist is basically like running a small startup. And you, the artist, are the CEO. I talk to artists about their businesses, talk real numbers, growth hacks, tools and tricks, and how they were ballsy enough to make that their career. Okay, fantastic. Welcome to Ballsy. For those of us who have the balls to make art, and this is David Krogblit. Am I saying that right? Correct. Very good. Fantastic. And do you go by David or do you go by Krogblit? Usually I, when I sign my work, you know, it's an artist signature, Krogblit. That's how I'm known professionally. But my friends call me okay. Dave. Yeah. Okay. I'm the opposite. I go by Kaladni, but my friends call me either Kaladni or K. So the, All right. I've given up my first name. Anyhow, welcome. So we're going to talk today, obviously, about your journey as, an, as a professional artist. But to start... Just so people have a point of reference and see your work. I found you like probably many people do via Instagram. I've been following your stuff. I think your work is super cool. Thanks. A lot of collage, yep. but I'll let you give a little background of what it is and then we'll dive right in. Yeah. So my work is collage, large format collage, I guess you could say. My large pieces starting at three feet, ranging up to 20 foot, 30 foot murals. Uh, I use a lot of old botanical imagery in my work, which is cool. Some of those pieces that I use are the very first time that a flower was documented and printed in color in a book. So this great curation of history within, of lost history within my work. And I have a unique process that I've developed over the years of being able to scale my collages. I use Photoshop as my sketch tool and I create my pieces inside Photoshop. Some of them have a few hundred layers. When I'm ready to make my analog collage from my digital file. I take all those layers, I spread them out and I print them out over 20 or 30 feet of paper. And then I cut everything up and I put it back together on a custom made panel, the one behind me in this four footer right behind me here. So that's sort of a quick snapshot of what I'm doing. So you start completely digitally and then you convert to paper yep. and then basically create what you created digitally. in the real world. Yep. It's a digital to analog process. I like that. And where do you work and where do you work from? What state? Where are you located? And, and just so people have a, a frame of reference. Yep, I'm in Southern California. Okay, so I've, I'm in Southern California. I'm originally from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We moved here about four years ago. I was a commercial photographer. I shot ads nationally, internationally for years. That's how I found California. I was coming here to chase my career originally, and it took us a long time to figure out how to move here. And by the time we decided to move, I was already transitioning to a career as a full-time artist. So it was less about photography, chasing my career, more about being here for lifestyle. But by moving to California, it completely opened up my art career and blossomed in ways I could have never imagined. Okay. We're definitely going to get back to that. Okay. Just as, so you were a commercial photographer, so you were art adjacent. Yeah. Um, you started making this art, I assume as a hobby or as a passion or something along those lines. What was, I'm always curious as to the moment in time where you're like, I think I could pull this off professionally. What was that amateur to pro switch look like? It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a story. So I went into photography because I thought that was the medium that I could be an artist in. I true, truthfully thought that I was going to come out. I went for a bachelor of art program at Ryerson in Toronto, and I thought I'd come out of that being an artist. 
And I was on track. I, I was creating work throughout that whole program. And I graduated and I realized I had to make money. And I took a job as a graphic designer. And long story short, I ended up sh shooting professionally because through this whole chain of events, a friend said to me, he said, Dave, I got five grand. Do you want to shoot this billboard? And at that time in my career, five grand was a whole hell of a lot of money. And I shot the job. And from that point on, I was the next 15 years was all about chasing the dollars in advertising. We fast forward to the end of my photography career. At some point in the last few years of shooting, I, uh, what happened? I decided that I wanted to get back to art and it wasn't the idea that I was going to be a full-time artist. I just wanted to create a body of work instead of just shooting commercial campaigns, which satisfied my creativity in a lot of ways because it was a very creative field, but it wasn't exactly the right fit for me. And I look back over all those years and I see what I was trying to do with photography and I could see where I was missing as a creative person, that it just wasn't the right fit for me. So when I started making art, I worked to make art. I didn't even think about, I just want to make something. I want to make a body of work. And when I got to that first body of work, which was a series of, what was it? it they were my grenades, actually. My Fabergé grenades, which are a very cool series, actually. I'm still working on parts of it today as sculpture. I created this body of work and I was like, wow, this is really fucking awesome. I think I can do something with this. And so I started showing the work. At that time, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing with it, how, where I would show it. And a, a successful artist friend of mine said to me, he said, Dave, if you want to start, if you want to get going with this, you need to go to start showing at art fairs. And so there was an art fair in Toronto called the Artist Project, and it's still running. It's a yearly project. I didn't do it last year. COVID strained things a little bit, and I passed on it this year. I'm doing a bunch of other stuff, which we could talk about later, but... I did that first fair and it gave me some energy and some direction. I met a couple of collectors. I sold my first piece and then I showed the work again later in LA and I met a few gallerists who invited me to have shows. And the whole time for the first few years, I was still actively shooting and directing as a photographer director, but now I was starting to have collectors calling sparse, sparsely calling to buy work, but galleries were starting to give me shows. And one show led to more collectors that led to another show that led to more collectors that led to another fair. And it just became this whole sort of snowball of different fairs and galleries and collectors starting to buy work. And then I, by the time I was moving, by the, it was like 2018, I was coming to California. I was still probably 50, 50. I was making half of my money from one and half from the other. But when I landed here, something happened. I don't know, it was just the timing of it. The work that I was doing at the time, I met a gallery and I, very quickly I met a few galleries and the work just started selling. And I remember within the first 60 days or 100 days I was here, a collector bought three eight foot pieces from me, which was a massive deal. Even today for me, that's a big deal. And it was almost a $100,000 deal. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, it was a real deal. It was a real deal. And that just propelled things even further. So it was just, so by 2019, now, I was, yep. Was two questions for you. 
one, that first fair that you did, was that, because most fairs are, a gallery has to bring you a couple fairs or artists run or artists, you can show up with your own work. Yeah. Was there a gallery that brought you to your first fair or did you just wing it and no, find um, your way through? So, so for Canadian artists, even artists abroad, I would give the artist project a pretty good plug. It's a great place to start. It's an independent art fair. But it's below the main fairs of Art Toronto, yeah. Art Miami, Basel. This is like a very highbrow, independent art fair. And so it really does connect you to the same people who are looking to buy art at some of the higher levels are still there shopping, looking for those gems. So it was a great place to start and to get your feet wet and to try and see how you fared against everything else that's going on in the market. And so you got relatively fortunate. You've got a bunch of collectors early, some gallery, you've got some gallery representation that's starting to feed you obviously more business. Are you rep yeah. by one specific gallery that kind of nurtured your career or are you rep by a variety of galleries across a variety yeah. of geographies? I'm always curious uh, to yeah. how people do it. So I came out of the world of photography as a represented photographer. I was represented in the US, I was represented in Canada. I was even represented in Europe at one time. And when I started creating art full-time, I had a mandate for myself that I didn't want anybody, unless it was a very specific type of relationship that made sense, I didn't want exclusive representation with anybody. And I've maintained that to this point. And it's not to say that I wouldn't do it, but I think that the way the playing field is today, a lot of galleries like, and artists like having the freedom to be able to sell and move amongst different galleries and different fees, different places, different cities. Again, that said, it's, that's always a conversation that's open with the and right, with the, with the right dealers. I'll keep peppering you with questions. So the, the, keep the, and per, percentage wise, do you sell any work direct to customers and direct to people or is it yeah, all yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, like what percentage is direct versus non-direct? Right now we're selling a lot of direct. It's both this last week, we sold one through a gallery, we sold one to the collectors. Right now it's maybe 50, 50. What are your channels? Like is, I said, your direct business is what channels? Is it Instagram? Oh. Is it TikTok? Yep. Like I would where, say where it, does it, that, where does that come from? Instagram would be definitely the number one place. I get calls times a week for inquiries from Instagram. I would say that's, that's for me is probably my number one lead generation tool. Okay. Then, and then the website and what else builds it? Uh, those are my social channels, Facebook. I post Facebook, but Instagram is what brings me most. And then the other places are art fairs and direct marketing through whatever other beans and portholes you like. The, do you use any online services like Saatchi.coms or the... Yeah, I've used Saatchi. I've sold work through Saatchi. Not okay. lately. What else do I use? I'm about to do something with Beautiful Bazaar. They have a good... I haven't heard of Beautiful. You don't know Beautiful Bazaar? No. The publication? It's a Pops Real publication, I think out of Australia. They have an incredible uh, curation of amazing art, pop surreal primarily. Some of it spans across a few genres, I guess you could say. But they have a really good, I just found out about this the other day. They have a really good artist only media kit. So it's, they'll give you like a full page ad and 12 social posts. And they have a million followers, or maybe it's less, maybe it's like half a million, but they have a, a pretty good feed. So, 
Pay for play is a very great way. That's a great way to build leads too. If you find the right place to pay for play, it, it can generate calls. I had a call from pay for play by a list celebrity who saw my work on that post. So let's go over pay for play for a sec. Cause I've experimented a little bit with it a while ago. Yeah. I haven't done it recently, but it's one of the things I want to add back into the repertoire. I think yeah, so this sure. is basically you pay a couple bucks. They give you a bunch of posts. They give you a bunch of visibility and that yeah. theoretically starts the flywheel. It could, yeah. It could, it's like, it could be 50 bucks for one post, but if they have, if they right. have a good following, it's, and they, the key is that they're not just going to let anybody post. It has to be decent. It has to be good work. When you submit to them that you're going to be in good company with other great art, it's not just like everybody gets to put up a kid's, their kid's yeah. drawing. And... I've seen some schlocky ones. There's yeah, more or... schlocky than good. There's, there, there's plenty of those. You have to weed through, do your own research and figure out what works and wh what's worthwhile. Where's your money worth spending? And right now I'm spending a ton of money on advertising and that's just the way it goes. You oh, have right, to okay. do it. So let, let's talk about that. So how and where do you spend money on advertising? Because when okay. most people think artists, they don't think sales funnels. They don't think advertising. People don't connect that way. So there's a bunch of different things, but right now the, the big one that's, the two big ones that are expensive and very time consuming. I've just committed to doing a fair in Miami, Aqua. Okay. Just doing a fair. I see you see, people think of a fair to sell art. I think of a fair just to, it's just straight up marketing. That's what you're there for. You're not going to probably, you get lucky, you sell, you make money at shows. Sometimes you make a lot of money at shows, but a lot of times you walk away and you don't really have anything tangible except for a couple of people who may or may not call you. But I, I just did Art San Diego, for example. So in Art San Diego, I, I met, I, we did, our sales weren't, weren't very good in Art San Diego. But we met a lady, a gallery, really great gallery in, in LA who wants to carry our work. So in the meantime, they decided they wanted a piece, a certain piece for their gallery. And I, I didn't have that particular piece. So I made a new version of it. And I made the piece and the piece, a collector saw the piece being built. And they bought it two days before it was supposed to get, go to the gallery. I'm just trying to paint a picture of how this marketing works. It turned into a big sale. The show turned into a big sale. I could have never got the sale had I not gone to the show, met the gallery who asked me to make the piece, this whole roundabout thing. So there's no and magic so when bullet. You, do, you, you basically just pay for the booth and you bring your wares and you do, and you just show your work and try to sell your work at the art fair. Yep. Unless it's a gallery right. that's taking the work and then they do right. that. So right. there's that's that. It. Yeah. So there's that, that, okay. So all the things I'm listing are things that you could classify as marketing or I do, because that's how I see them sure. to get the name out there. But we've also agreed next month to do a, a pop-up in Laguna beach. So we're taking over a space that's been sitting empty. It's a quite a nice space, actually a smaller space. We'll set up like a solo exhibit for a, a month and a half leading up into the holidays. And again, that'll be set up to, to get our name out there and reinforce the strength in our name. We're, we already have a good presence in Laguna Beach. So it's set up to strengthen the Crowblip brand within Laguna. And I'm going to take a couple steps back to go a couple steps forward. Yeah. So sure. you make uh, these collage works that are in a series and you have a particular series that has a few renditions of, I would assume, adjustable layers and adjustable things, but is there a set number within each series or are they kind no. of open-ended or you create them? They are never done. The series are always okay. open for, to create more. Okay. I've always said my process is what I call it incremental art because a lot of times the last piece is the parts of the last piece are what build the next piece. And okay. I just keep moving and changing as I go. And I have any of my series are always open game to go back 
change the directions of the series or just keep building on what was there. And I, that's how, just how I like to work. I don't like to have too many rules on how I do it. And so how long does it, does, how long do some of these works takes to produce? What's your volume look like that you obviously have work in a bunch of different places. You have to build up a body of work to give to a bunch of galleries, to do a bunch of these shows. What is yeah. that? What is your factoring process look like? And depends on the time of year, what's happening. Like right now, I'm getting ready for Basel. I'm getting ready for the pop-up. I have a piece I'm doing for the Wonderfront Festival, an eight-foot piece. So this production right now is this whole week is just in panels, sanding and painting panels, probably part of next week too. And then it's, I have this big printer here. I start printing and cutting. As I get deeper in, depending on what time looks like, I start employing small teams of people to help me cut and get everything that, that was done. my next question you have have you built a business that needs employees you have assistants and how does that look <clears throat> it's a very small business but it's very scalable i call people in and out as i need them okay. so sometimes there's a handful of people working with me and sometimes it's just most of the time it's just me in the studio and then jackie my wife handles everything else all the calls and fields everything else that's going on in the business frees me up just to, to be creative but that that always changes our and the business has been built specifically to be able to scale. So I have a process of how everything is done, how the panels are built, the woods that are used, the tools that are used, how things are printed, how things are cut. If we needed to move into a hundred thousand square foot factory and hire 50 people tomorrow, they would all be, they would know exactly how the process, how to do it. So that's super smart and super interesting. So many people don't, the end of the day process is everything. I'm everything. a big believer of, I've stumbled into this work, but one of the thought processes in my head when I think of works is, how scalable is it? At some point, if I had 50 orders, could I put a team together to help me make those 50 orders? Right, and if you, sure. there's a bunch of artists who just can't, right? They do everything by their own hand. And because yeah. of that, their business is limited to whatever it is versus yours, yeah. which is obviously scalable. Now you have to ship yeah. all that stuff back and forth. How do you usually go about it? Do you try to like hook up with galleries there? So you only have to ship it one way. What is your process in terms of dealing with these shows as advertising vehicles? So you're talking about sending stuff to Miami. Yeah, so you're coming saying? out to Duoc with Miami for Basel. What does that process look like to you? And what's best case and what's worst? Obviously, best case is you sell everything. Worst case yeah. is you go home with everything. So it's 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 funny because I'm sure every artist can has been through this. When when you're setting up to do it, you have big aspirations to sell everything and whatever. But then it comes to Sunday at six o'clock or five o'clock and now you got all this shit you got to pack it up and deal with getting it home and hopefully it was a great fair so sometimes it wasn't a great fair but it's hard to to not feel a little defeated sometimes with it even though right now i know that's this is how it goes sometimes you sell sometimes you don't i try and think of my production in terms of certain sizes i've tried to get a little bit smarter with making things if i know something is 48 but it only don't i only have 47 inches Make it 47 inches, like shipping crates, wood, panels, you buy stuff, it's easier to cut it four by eight sheets if you're thinking on. So shipping's a big pain in the ass. You know that I see those things behind you are probably not easy to ship. So <laughs> yeah, it's a total neighbor. I can't tell you how many things I've shipped that have ended up wherever they're going broken. Like I've even hired amazing crate companies and they still, things are shattered. I cringe yeah. to think of the damage that gets done in shipping channels. Are there certain sizes of your work that sell more than others? Are there certain frameworks sure. or this is my go-to and so 60% yeah. of my work is this size? And if so, what are those yep. sizes? 
Yep, that three by three feet, four by four feet are the hottest sizes for sure. The next size would be five by five. Those three sizes, five by five gets a little bit big. You need quite a big wall for a five by five, but I have sold quite a few of those, but four feet and three feet, undoubtedly the hottest sizes. All my work, almost all my work is square, which is great okay, because at a three by three feet, you can buy one and hang in a hall and later on say, you know what? I want the other two pieces from that series and make a presentation piece over your sofa with it or stack them right. in a lot in a tall hallway. So they really work well in that manner of speaking. Do you do commission work or is it just, do you make what you make or do you ever do personal commissions for people? And if so, what kind of ratchet do you have? Do you charge more for those obviously? Or what does yeah. that look like from a, a, a production? So commission job, I will, so most of the work that I just make most of my work and I s sell it. That's how most of it, it goes, but there are commissions. And in fact, I like commissions because as a commercial photographer, it was always my job to take a, a render or an illustration and make a photo that was better than people could imagine. So I, because I come from that commercial background, I appreciate being creative, thinking outside the box, inside the box to speak. So. I don't mind if someone gives me a, an idea, they say, Dave, this is what we want. As long as they know that it's going to be a crowflit and whatever they want is what, that whatever they, they get, what I make them. So at the end of the day, I'm going to make them something and I, I'm pretty sure they're going to love it, but hasn't happened yet, but may come a time when there's something, maybe the client won't appreciate what you've done for them. But that said, yeah, I like commissions and I like even better when I get to make my own work and just sell it sell it. That's mostly the way that it's been happening. So now obviously your price point is let's call it five to 10 grand, five to 15 grand in that wheelhouse. Yep. Yep. That's fair. Do you have a lower price point? I've seen some things you do prints and if so, how do you think about that business versus your real business? Do you think it cannibalizes it? Do you think it's a different customer segment? What, how do you approach that and how do you actually physically do it? Yeah, I think that some artists might not appreciate the way that I do it, but I like to create. A, okay, so there's some people, the people who really love your work, the people who really love it. A lot of them can't afford a $10,000 piece, a $15,000 piece, maybe not even a $5,000 piece. And I want those people to have art as well. And I have many different programs, many different offerings at different price points, because why not have different ways for people to access your work. As long as you're keeping print editions, I keep my print editions very small. So my print okay. editions are in addition, editions of five, but they're in editions okay. of five at three sizes, 24, 36, 48. There's an edition of three at 60 inches. There's some other stuff outside those sizes. The small stuff, the numbers go up to 10. If it's 12 inches or smaller, there's editions of 10. And then I do those on paper and then I do resin prints as well. So a resin print is mounted on canvas or a wood panel sealed with resin. It looks like an original a little bit, but it's, but it's now, a, do you physically a, fabricate these themselves or do you yeah. put this out through a service? No, it's all, it's all made in the studio. And what I've, I'm considering doing away with the resin prints, actually tell you the truth and replacing them with just embellished one of ones so that there are no more resin print editions. And those are great because they're the price point, keeping the print editions or an embellished one of one and now spans the gamut of price point. If a collector. Some people do not want prints. Some people are okay. They love prints. I don't mind prints. I like prints, but they want that signature on the front. They want to know that it's an original and an embellished one-to-one -one is perfect. It falls right in the middle of price point wise from an original to a print. 
it is still original, but it's not, it's not obsessed over the same way a full hand cut piece would be. Like I'll have so a it, couple layers. Yeah, I take it and all random hand cuttings and just add layers to it, but not extensively. So it's a nice and option. It's a, do you find that there's collectors who don't care about who are price agnostic? And then there's obviously a collector that might start it with print because they love, they truly love your work. And at some point when they can afford it, they eventually buy the real thing. That's a good point though. That you're yeah. making it prints, small pieces are gateway art for people. It's a way that they can get, you get the art into their home and they can look at it and fall in love with it. And also their friends can fall in love with it too, but it sells more work. Do you sell a lot of those prints or what's the, you sell, is it a small little thing? Is it a, is it a much bigger thing? The prints. I sell a fair amount of prints. I'm working on a few right here now that are getting ready to go out. I sell more original art than I do prints. I think I could okay. say, I don't know. It's, That's it's great. They, yeah. They sell, they both sell. Yeah. They both sell. Do you bring I, mean, the I mean, to the art show? I might for aqua. I'm thinking of bringing okay. a rack for aqua and I'm also working on a sculpture, a new sculpture that I'm hoping to have finished for the show. Okay. That was my next series of questions. You're obviously expanding into sculptures because your work starts digitally, which I didn't realize. And I know that I've seen that you've done it. You obviously got into NFT land for a little bit. What was your experience in the world of NFTs? And did you like that? It seemed like it was a transition it. because of the digital makeup of your work. Yeah. So one day when the, right before, or as it was starting to blow up the NFT market, my wife, Jackie was looking at this, she says, there's this site called Nifty. She was looking at a release that Carl Cox, the DJ, cause she likes Carl Cox. And she's looking yeah. at this, she's like, she's like, Dave, you got to see this. This is really cool. It's this, this whole rabbit hole of just like, what's going on here? Just cool shit. And so very quickly, my attention, because I've always been the type of artist that I love tradition, but I like also like contemporary tools, like using the tools of the day to further sort of reaching into grab what's the next thing. I'm very much a proponent of that. And so when I saw what was going on, I was like, my, this is a, my, my stuff can stop at, it's a digital sketch in Photoshop that I make. It could stop right there and become an NFT or it could become something else. And a lot of them I reworked into animated pieces and I applied to a site called super rare, which uh, do you know, super rare, most of people course. do at this point, a highly curated artist website platform for selling NFTs. And to my surprise, one day, a few months in, I got a acceptance letter from them and I was like, Holy shit, I can't believe it. We're actually going to be selling on Super Rare. And the whole thing was still was early on. It was April or whatever, and everything's still blowing up. And right out of the gate, I started making a bunch of sales. And I was turning down sales because I was getting this amount and this amount. And I didn't want to go lower because it's like selling a piece of art. If you sell this piece for 10 grand and then you know, you sell it for six grand. So it's just, it doesn't work. And to boot, there's a public ledger of what the piece sold for. So I'm getting pieces, offers, I've sold, so, 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 turned down tens of thousands of dollars in sales <laughs> to try and stick to my game plan. And then in the meantime, because I was turning down sales, the thing just cooled off, sales cooled off too. And right. then they really cooled off to a point where I was like, I just kept making stuff and putting up and, I, and nothing would sell, but I stuck to my guns. And just recently, actually, I had a really nice collector come in and pick up two pieces and we worked out a deal for a physical collage, an analog collage worked into the deal with those two pieces. And it turned into be a really nice deal. I was very happy with the deal that we made. 
And that was my mandate for this whole thing. I don't want to just sell NFTs. I do. Now, I'm happy to sell just the token, but I like to sell the two as a collector set, the physical and the digital, both offerings come together. And I think that's a wonderful one. It becomes the certificate of authenticity for the other. And yeah. you, have true scare, you have true scarcity that way because you have a real collector set. And yeah, I don't know how you look. I'm a big fan of that, like, physical or whatever the acronym of a digital physical. and physical. Like that <laughs> yeah, I think that pairing is really interesting. And with yeah. your work and the fact that it starts at this really detailed, layered Photoshop, where it's truly a digital piece of art first, there's mm. a, there's an authenticity. There's a lot of artists who just made art and slapped it digital. Yours actually was the other way around, right? Where there's yeah. this true authenticity to the work as a digital piece that you actually then muscle into the physical world, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really compelling story, a really interesting narrative. So. It's that, very that, cool, yeah. Super so, cool. But I'm definitely behind things that's untraditional un or that breaks out of the realm of, of being traditional. Everything in the beginning, lowbrow art wasn't accepted by the museums and galleries. Street art wasn't accepted by whatever. NFT is just another version of it. It's new and exciting. Who knows sure. where it's going to go? But why not grab a hold of whatever's in front of us and just try and push it forward? For sure. And just, by the way, it's made fortunes of, of art. I personally think it's the new renaissance, right? It yes, all of a sudden yes. created artists, once again, made a bunch of artists extraordinarily wealthy. Also the fact that there's some sort of royalty. So you have some sort of, if you're a well-traded artist, you have some sort of number in perpetuity Definitely. that comes and spends. But all it's of these amazing. super bullish on. Yeah. yeah. So I cool. Yeah. Super positive for artists. Um, that said, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say working with my hands and making the stuff physically yeah. It's always going to be, it's probably has something to do with the generation I'm from. I think that the generation coming up after us and after them and after them won't be as necessarily as tied to, they, they, it might be, maybe they won't be tied to possessions and things and physical things. Living in a digital space might be, might make more sense for them. So maybe I am a traditionalist already. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm, I'm the same. I'm actually, this work I do physically and I'm forcing myself to go into Blender and actually like make digital rendered, trying to do sure. it digitally instead of putting thousands of steel balls in your house is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. So I know. The, the idea of doing some digitally is not the worst idea. The Are there any other channels you have in terms of money-making channels that, that you use or is it mostly just art, mm -hmm. art and art derivatives? Yeah, I'd say, just to go back to Instagram for a second, I'd say an incredibly useful tool are Instagram ads. If you're not oh, using okay. Instagram... Talk about that. Do you use them? Yeah. Yep. Actually, I just... I serve artists all the time, and yeah. I'm always fascinated if they convert. Yep. I, I, I was contacted by somebody recently. This is how, story is the same story uh, all the time. They saw this stuff on the ad. I went over to the house and I sold them some art. And the ads, I think really it's just like any other ads, as much money as you can put into running ads, run them in short, shorter spurts, like not more than seven days and not more than $10 a day. I just had a meeting with, if you're really into uh, doing advertising with, with Instagram, you can set you, set you up with a meta specialist who can actually show you a little bit go a little bit deeper into their advertising system and give you a little bit of idea on how they, how the algorithms are working a little bit, just a little idea. They really, they change stuff so quickly. It doesn't really matter. You just yeah, try and sure. keep up, try and keep up with it. But the ads, 
I just run them all the time. I just run them all the time, whether it's a $5 ad, a $50 ad, $70 ad weekly, I put up ads and uh, yeah, listen, you sell one print, it's paid for all your ads for months, like a year, depending on the- Have you ever thought of scaling that budget up because it has a rate that, because you can track yeah. that rate of return? Have you thought about scaling that, that yeah, job? Yeah, I, ha I have been scaling it over the year. I'm okay. putting more on sometimes. It's about a hundred bucks a week right now, but I've gone a little heavier at times, a little lighter at times. Depends on what's going on right now. There's a lot of other places to spend money on advertising. I'm that, just committed. Which, to. which is a perfect segue to one of my next questions. I always ask, what do you spend? What are you spending most of your money on or the most money on? And what are you spending most of your time doing? I spend the fairs are the most expensive thing, but that's just coming around again now. Cause really LA art was the last fair that I did before before the pandemic. And this San Diego was the first fair I did since LA art. And what do you mean? What most of my time doing, what do you mean by that? What do you spend most of your, in your art business? Where is most of the money going? Is it going to supplies? Is it going to equipment? Is it going to advertising? Is it going to, what are you spending your, right now for me, I'm spending money on steel balls and inflatable balls. That's, that's fair. Yes. A huge chunk of it. I'm spending tons of money on materials. I'm doing this new sculpture. So I need a foundry to cast this thing for me. So that's not going to be okay. cheap. And then the other half is just those, the fares are really expensive after a while. You're dropping multiple thousands every single time you come up to bat. Aqua's going to be very expensive because you got to be your traveling, shipping, all that other shit on top of Yeah, but I can only imagine. The, yeah. In terms of your art versus your business practice, how much time is actually spent making actual art? versus all the other things that it takes to actually make the art. I'm blessed that I have a partner in crime who takes care of a lot. Another big part of marketing we didn't chat about is submissions for awards. That should be an ongoing awards. They mean nothing in terms of the award. It's nice to have a win, but when you get your work in front of all the different curators and jurors, and then winnings bring more marketing because you're really, you're just casting all these lines into the ocean and seeing what you can catch with them, right? You just do as much, wherever the work can be shown, show it. And an award is a very useful part of that. Sometimes you win cash. We've had a lot of cash wins over the past few years. Where do you find awards to submit to? I didn't even, that's a channel I haven't even thought of. Yeah, it's a good channel. They come up on Instagram all the time. If you're scrolling through, you'll see different okay. stuff. You could search online, see what's available in your genre, in your medium. Sometimes okay. there's specifically something for collage artists, or there's a, a, a large grant or a big RFQ for a, a piece of public art. That's what, sort of where I'm trying to focus myself now. We've had some success this past year, and we're looks like we're having some more success with bidding on public art. And I like to work at scale. So for me, that's really great. But that's also when you get your work into public spaces, the marketing value of that, we did work for the Hotel Laguna and I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten for pieces from the hotel. They paid for that art to be in their per permanent collection, but just having the work on the walls there is payments because people call you when your work is in a public space, people could find it. Big installations, big public works. Those are oftentimes the best advertising in the world. Yeah. But yeah. And sometimes you can get into those things through award, through winning an award or winning a submission or a bid, whatever. Oh, that's, this is two new angles that I wasn't even thinking of that I'm going to put. One of the joys of this, of doing this pod is people tell me cool shit that I never would have thought of in a million years. And I'm like, why am I not doing that? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. That's it. It's, it opens your eyes, right? Yeah. 100%. Give you, you more ideas. Yeah.
You, you don't know what you don't know. The, it was, yeah. And now have you started playing, I'm going to switch back to marketing and social and things. Like, have you played with some other platforms? Like, do you play with TikTok? Do you play with YouTube? Do you play with any of these types? You obviously have a kind of an interesting large process that probably records pretty well. Do you play with a lot of that stuff or do you're like, eh? So I, I am on TikTok with only a handful of followers. Building the Instagram happened very organically through the years, actually. And then in recent years, running the ads and some of the pay-for-play stuff brought a lot of followers. Although that's something tricky with the Instagram ad. That's another story. The Instagram ads will get you a good amount of followers, but they don't always engage. So you have to think of how that works for you in your marketing. What was that first part of that question? I forgot what you're saying. Platforms, if any, that you use. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, no, I don't use that many platforms. It just feels like a whole other ball of wax to get. Uh, I, yes, I always did. I'm dipping my toes in, but it's it feels like it's it's too, it's a massive undertaking to start posting. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I need to set, rethink how I do my social. But yeah, it's, well, I, I have an aversion to a lot wrong because what you're doing yeah, is working. But you could do more. So for example, as a photographer, I have access. I even have professional equipment here to film stuff really nicely. But do I ever make a nice video? I don't want to touch that stuff. I don't like, it's just such a distraction to me to have to do that. In addition to all this creative stuff you want to do and all the time you want to spend making the actual art. So I'm yeah, sure I some mean, people it, say, well, he, it eats up. The modern artist is not just an artist, they're a content producer. The advantage yeah, totally. is you can get directly in front of your customer, but the disadvantage is it just, it just sucks so much creative time and energy. Yeah. Um, there, there's always something you can be doing creatively. There's, and that really as an artist to me is the most important part. There's always something you could be doing and to have to spend time doing all that stuff. It's business. Business is business. You got to do that too, but it's not going to get the same amount of attention. I'll tell you that. I had one social piece blow up this year that got a million views and it was great. I got a bunch of followers from it. It was the most random piece of content. Wow. It was the one I spent the least amount of time on and of it just course, happened yeah. to blow up and like, I got 5,000 followers overnight and, and then wow. it's now since trailed off and now I'm like have a dopamine cry from, yeah. how, from not being how able to do that again. I just, what I, oh, to do it again. I can't even imagine what that's like. And do you do any pub, it seems like you're, do you do, do any publicity or have a PR agent or is it all a different wheelhouse? <clears throat> no, that's a valid question. I, I did hire a PR, a small PR firm a few years back. And you, I guess you have to be really organized if you're going to use a firm. If you're going to use any firm or hire anybody, you got to be super, super organized and doing everything that you can already because they're just going to take it and run with it. And if you're not ready, you're wasting mega bucks. That, not, that said, they really do have a lot of great relationships with all the uh, media companies. So you find that you're getting a ton of press and press is always a good thing. People see you in, in different articles and ads and, and whatever it is, and it pays off in the long run. It's not always trackable and it's very expensive. I think we started our the minimum that we started out was like 2,500 a month. And then it just yeah. went straight up from there. And I never really could tell exactly what I was getting out of it. Although I know that it did. There's no, I'm sure Instagram tells you how many people clicked on your thing, right? At least there's a direct metric yeah. there. What that yeah. spend actually refers to yeah. versus PR, which is amorphous and they got you an article and you don't know if 10 people read it or 10,000 people read it. Yeah. But it's all part of it. If you can get everything working. You could walk into a PR campaign that you've set up and you've done with the firm 
and you can be confident that this is done right and it's the it's a good business move but it takes money and organization yeah and i think you have to be a, a for, far enough along for people to have enough content to write and share the yeah one of the things i've noticed that you're in a zillion shows like yeah how do you manage one how do you get in all those shows group or otherwise and then how do you manage getting the work physically out to them to do it yourself or you just ship the stuff or because I look on your site, dozens of shows, fairs, et cetera, et cetera, which is awesome. Yeah. There's just a million things happening. We have a show opening this Sunday with the city of Irvine at their city run. It's not really a museum. It's more of a city run gallery. It's a nice show, really well curated. And that was, that particular show came to me through <clears throat> a gallery that I work with knew that the show was happening and they knew the curator. They said, they knew the subject of the show. They said, oh, this particular series by this artist, it's my Fabergé grenades actually, said this will be a perfect fit. And they came, they took a look and they called me about that. And they were, Irvine is only hmm, a 30, 40 minute drive, 30 minute drive. So we just took the stuff over ourselves. And, but yeah, we're always doing a lot of shows. Like I said, we have the solo coming up. We have that show. We have Miami and we just did San Diego. We're doing the, Waterfront Festival, there's just a million things. And I like it like that, I, you know, it could be more. Just as much as possible, I just wanna be doing as much as I can all the time because- Which uh, one leads the more to that, the more, Yeah, and the more that you do, the more you make. The more you make, the more you do. You stay busy and for some reason, you can always do more when you're busy. So I um, find it's invigorating. Do you keep inventory or do you sell most of your work as you make it? Or do you keep a, no. a, a stash around? <laughs> or you produce in chunks, how does your, or is there tons of pieces just sitting ready to go? The pieces are in different galleries across the country, okay. that are inventory. I used to always worry about inventory. So always, for a long time, I thought to myself, if I make it, what if I don't sell it? The pieces don't always sell right away. That's okay. You know what? When to have lots of inventory is good because it moves around, you move it from place to place, Something doesn't sell in Denver, but it sells in Santa Fe. It took three, took me sometimes moving it to three different spaces for it to find the place where it wanted to sell. So I don't care if it's sitting around as long as it's well protected, but uh, yeah, I don't know what I want to say about that. I think you should just, ha don't be afraid to have inventory. Make a lot of art, just make a lot of art and it'll sell. I like that until it found a place where it wanted to sell. I like that, that framing of it. Do you have yeah. a... How do you keep track of it all? You're in a zillion places. How yeah, do we you have... keep track of what goes away? I've lost so much art over the years. How do you keep track of it? How long until you go for someone's hand to give it back to you? All of those type of things. A lot of times it'll stay in inventory until I have a need to pull it out uh, or somebody asks about it. I don't know. There's no real time frame. Some stuff has been out for a long time. There are certain, in the early days, my I didn't keep a very good record, but now we have a very tight, inventory list. It's all documented. Anything goes out, there's photos front and back of everything. It gets put into a dossier and we have agreements with all the galleries that we deal with so that they have paperwork and we have paperwork and we know where everything is and what exactly it is and what condition it's in. Do you have a software package you deal with that or is that just Google spreadsheets? Yeah, it's just a spreadsheet basically. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we were looking into one something archive. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, they had archive. online. Mm -hmm. Is it archive? Yeah, I think we looked into that 
And I don't know why at the time we didn't go with it, but that seemed like a very nice option to have everything in the cloud and, and tracked with a professional software. I've used it. I've used it for a little bit. I actually just switched back to, I started using Wix for the first time to do my website. Oh. I always thought it was the yep. shitty one, the crappy one. Turns out it's awesome. Yep. I do my inventory, my sales, my, it's got workflows and sales workflows and also it's super robust. I had no idea. Maybe. Yeah. So we haven't done our inventory like that yet. Our print inventory. So to that point, I think all the new website builders are incredible. I just used, set up a new website with GoDaddy and GoDaddy has an incredible, like exactly what you described. You could set up your site and attach your print shop and attach it to all the marketplaces and track your inventory, track, keep track of your clients, of your yeah. newsletters, your subscribers, everything in one place. And it's seamless. You Correct. Know? And it was yeah. very user-friendly to set up. Yeah, it's, it saves so much right. time because I don't have to log into 17 different things to figure out what I need to figure out. Exactly. The, yeah. Which is making my life a little bit easier at least. So as we're yeah. coming towards yeah. the end of the interview here, um, I always try to ask, what was your, in your journey, did you have a huge mistake that if you could undo it, oh my God, I wouldn't do that again? And the opposite of that, do you have a huge win that was this changed the course of my life? We talked about a couple of the wins early on, some of those big sales that propelled yeah. things forward. Oh my God, I wouldn't do that again. There's a lot of those because you're always trying. You're always trying to see what works. Yeah, that's one thing that comes to mind. I don't want to say it because it's like dogging a certain fair that really was not good for us but it's very good for other artists. So I'll just leave it at that. I, that way, I will never do that again. Definitely have a couple of those moments. Spent too but, much money. Uh, no, no. Yeah, it was just torture. Just torture. I didn't even care if I would have made money. I don't think I'd do it for the torture of doing it again. Anyway, I, there's, you know what? It's all, there's a lot of good. There's way more good than bad. Being free as an artist to spend every day creating and making art and then people buy it. Well, that's just, that's winning at life, right? We're winning. It's, there's nothing that's better. Yeah. Yeah. Ice for into boot. Since I've moved to California, I've become an avid surfer. So that's part of my program. I wake up in the morning. I spend four hours at the beach every single day. And when I get to the end of that surf, I come back to the studio and I, and I spend another eight hours here making art every day. And that's my practice and discipline. And like the water that and the waves that I ride, they flow together and they make perfect harmony in my life. And I'm happier making art than I've ever been doing anything else. And so you block out a really huge amount of time to, to do creative work every day. Yeah. It's some days it's like come in here some days and I'm not feeling it and I just Go do something else if that's the way I feel. But to be good at something, you need discipline. And I think to be happy, you need discipline. And so I just, it's seven days a week is my pro program. I come back on Saturday and Sunday from the beach and I do the same thing. I do leave some time for my family to do other things, but it's on my terms. I, I try and stick to a schedule, but it's flexible. My schedule is flexible. I love it. And yeah. let's let the audience know how they find you and where they can look for you, website, Instagram, yep. best ways to reach you, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You can find almost everything you need on Instagram. That's Crowblit one K-R-O-V like victory, B like boy, L-I-T like Tom, one, number one. The Crowblit website, which has a great new print shop. You can find all sorts of cool current work and time-lapse. 
There's a lot, lot of process stuff on the website and the Instagram. So if you're looking to see and at my email, david at crowfoot.com, if you have questions, any questions about the art at all, or just want to chat art. I love talking about art, everything to do with art, making it, buying it, selling it, everything. That's absolutely amazing. I come, when you come to Miami, for, I'm based out of Miami. So when you come to Basel, oh. uh, I'll swing by Accra and check you out. Okay. Hello. Absolutely. The, That's uh, great. Anyhow, thank you again for your time. I love the work. I love it even more now that I know the process behind it and the, the way you go about it. I learned a bunch today, a whole bunch of things I didn't know or even think about. So I'm going to try cool. to use some of those in my practice. Yes. And I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for your yeah, time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you.